0: Good afternoon. You glad to be here? Maybe I should ask you, are you glad to still be here after the last one. Wow, it's, uh, what a night. And we have a lot to be thankful for here in Wichita. That, As far as I know at this point, at least, I don't think anyone lost his or her life. And uh, the injuries don't seem to be major that I under, that I know about. But many of your friends are without power right now and some have home damage and so our prayers need to go up for them. But while we're praying... It's a great time to be thankful because God has been very good to our community. Um, Our series is called Lifeline, and today is a very special talk to me because it has to do with um, your story and the fact that whatever's going on in your story, God has a bigger story. I love listening to people's stories. Um, Pastor of a large church like I am at New Spring, uh, it's really hard for me to get to know people the way I used to in the old days when we were a much smaller church and now with thousands attending. I'll meet New Springers in various places, and, and people are so kind and cautious. You know, a lot of times it's like, Mark, is it okay if I talk to you? And, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm so glad to meet you. What a great opportunity. And I love listening to people tell me their stories, whether you're the CEO of a corporation or, or if you unfortunately live on the streets. It, it, I, everybody's got a story. And I love listening to people's stories. For years, my favorite channel on television was the Biography Channel. I just I love stories. I love hearing stories. Like this afternoon, I'll get on an airplane, Now, today I'm flying with Mary Alice, and then plus I've got some work I have to get into a publisher by midnight tonight. So I won't be into the tell me your story mode, but usually when I fly, if I wind up with a stranger, it's like, I want to hear your story. Tell me your story. What about your story? Tell me your story. How do you feel about your story? One of the things that amazes me from time to time is I talk to people who are 25 years old and they feel like their story is finished. They're just marking time, oftentimes self-medicating, just waiting for life to end. But basically, when they tell me their story, they tell me of broken dreams and broken plans, unfulfilled visions that have come to naught, and now at 25, 30 years of age, life didn't work out, relationships didn't work out, and basically, the way they see it, their story is finished. Well, today, I want to take you to a text of Scripture that until this weekend, to my knowledge, I've never preached from, although it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's called The Road to Emmaus by Bible students, But it's a special story, and it's about the morning that Jesus rose from the grave, and he wound up appearing to a couple of his followers who are giving up. In fact, they're on the way home, and they don't know that the person that has just joined them on the road is Jesus. And it's a really interesting exchange. It is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I hope that you come to love it too. Now, in the few moments that I'll be talking to you, we'll we'll break this story apart, and there will be times so we'll focus on it line by line. But before we do that... I'd like for us just to read it together so we can get the whole feel for the narrative and you can get an idea of what's going on here with the story. If you have your Bibles, I'm in Luke 24, 13. If you don't, this will be on the IMAX. But when you go home today, find your Bible and read the story again because it's really kind of cool. Here we go. The same day, that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. That would be like we celebrate Easter last week. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing Him. That's what our translation says. And I think that's probably accurate, but it's probably a little stronger. The actual language just says they were kept from recognizing Jesus. So we don't know exactly what it was. We just know that somehow Jesus showed up and they didn't know him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders hand him over to be crucified, to con- uh, condemned to death and then crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers read his tomb earlier this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. Let me just give you this. I hate to do this in Greek, but let me just tell you what it says in Greek. It just simply says, they drove us out of our minds. Ladies, not much has changed in 2,000 years, all right? <laughs> These guys said, you know, there were some women there, and they just came back with a story that just drove us crazy, so we had to leave. Um, that's kind of what they were saying. They said his body was missing, and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea. Sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then <laughs> Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on but they begged him stay the night with us since it's getting late so he went home with them as they sat down to eat he took the bread and blessed it then he broke it and gave it to them suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him at that moment he disappeared they said to each other didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us and within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem they found the 11 disciples And the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. Now, I just read you a story, but the fact is, I read you a story of two stories. I read you a tale of two tales. I read you about a couple of guys who had a story. And in their minds, they knew the entire narrative. But Jesus came along and explained to them that God had a much bigger story than they had. As I said a few moments ago, it was the morning of Jesus' resurrection, and he was making special appearances to comfort some of his people. And there were a couple of guys who were on the road to Emmaus. who was, was a town about seven miles north of Jerusalem. And I like what it says in verse 28. It says they were, on the, they were going to the end of their journey. In effect, what was happening, these guys were resigning. For three years they had followed Jesus. They had believed he was the savior of the world, the Messiah, the king who would deliver Israel. But they are quitting. They are folding their tents and going away. The story is over. The dream is over. It is finished. It is Deathville. It is Divorceville. It is the end of the road. It is game, set, match. It is over. They are headed for the end. They are conducting the post mortem or the exit interview for a dream. You ever been there? It's like you're talking, maybe you're talking to your wife, you're talking to a friend that you used to work with, you're talking to somebody in your life, and basically what you are doing is you're asking each other, Why didn't it work out? And you're trying to rack your brain to figure out what went wrong. And how many times is it that we will get with somebody that's very important in our life, but when our story doesn't work out, we wind up turning our guns on each other. And it seems like that's what happened here because it says in verse 15, as they talked, that means they were questioning each other. And then it says as they discussed, that means they were debating these things. So it started off, they were saying, how do we get into this? I mean, how do we follow this guy? We thought he was the savior. We thought he was the king. How do we get into this? And then one of them said, you know what? It's your fault. Come to think of it, you're the one who got me into this. And so it goes from asking each other's questions to where they begin to argue with each other about whose fault it was. Let me, let me just say one thing that I've learned through the years. Guys, I don't counsel much anymore. But through the years when I did marriage counseling, I found out there were a lot of couples whose marriages were in trouble, not because they had issues or problems, but they, they were both experiencing pain. And listen to me, please. It was just pain talking to pain. A hurting person talking to a hurting person. And oftentimes they weren't against each other. They didn't hate each other, but they sounded like they hated each other. And when I peeled back the layers of the onion, really what was going on, there were just hurting. I mean, We're we're told by pros that oftentimes couples who lose a child will frequently divorce as a result of that. It's not that they hate each other. It's just they don't know what to do with their pain. And after a while, they begin blaming, blaming each other. And that's what happened to these disciples. It was the end of the road. Their story was finished. Their hopes were dashed. And so they were saying on the way home in the exit interview, it's your fault. It's your fault. Strange how we look for somebody to blame when our story doesn't work out. Well, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. This is really funny to me because Jesus, of course, at this point to them is a stranger. For some reason, they don't know who he is. I don't know if they don't recognize who he is because God deliberately kept them from it. I don't know if they didn't recognize who Jesus was because they were in the midst of the argument and they were just too down to recognize who he was. But in any regard, they didn't know who he was. And so Jesus asked them, what is it you are discussing? The Greek word for that means what is it that you're throwing back and forth? Imagine, if you will, two people throwing a hot potato back and forth, and neither one of them knowing what to do with it. Sometimes we get into conflicts with people like that, and we're just throwing it back and forth. And I love Jesus' graphic language. Because he walks up to these two guys, and he said, Hey, hey, what is it you guys are throwing back and forth so intently? Basically, Jesus wanted to know why are you two guys fighting with each other. Verse 27. I love this. They stopped short. I'll tell you what that means. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a discussion with somebody? Maybe you're in an argument with your wife or a person you're in a your relationship Maybe you're just kind of like having a heated thing going on with somebody. And then some interloper, some stranger walks up and just like injects himself or herself into your conversation. Can you, can you get this picture in your mind? Exactly what do you have to do with this? I mean, why, why, why are you doing this? And this is precisely what happened. These two disciples are arguing with each other over what happened. Jesus walks up and says, excuse me, what is it you guys are throwing back and forth so intently? And they turn and look at him, angry that he has interrupted them in their conversation. Well, guys, let me just tell you, you may think I'm preaching this message to you, but I'm preaching to Mark this morning. Because Lord knows I am one who, if my story is not working out the way I want to, I can get frustrated, I can come to think it's not gonna go well, and along comes God, and here's what I wrote. I actually wrote this in my notes to write to me, not to you, but I'll tell you what I wrote to myself. I I wrote the question, am I okay if God interrupts my pity party with good news? (laughs) Really, I wrote that to me, am I okay? I mean, if I'm busy complaining and whining about why stuff is not going along, and God wants to come along and say, excuse me, isn't there a bigger story here? And I can turn and look like this at God saying, what are you doing interrupting my pity party? (laughs) and the humor of the next part of our story really is attractive to me. These two guys look at Jesus and say, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened the last few days? (laughs) Emphasis is on the word only. Are you the only one? (laughs) I mean, you realize he he was standing there with nail prints in his hands and nail prints in his feet and a mark where a spear went through his side (laughs) and they were asking him, You're the only one who doesn't know what happened. He was the only one who did know what happened in Jerusalem. He was the only one who understood the whole plan. But i got to tell you something here. I'm not ripping these guys because Lord knows I've been exactly where they were. Because so many times I imagine that my life should work in a particular way. I can even leverage God and think, wow, this has got to be God's will for my life. This is surely what God wants for me. And then when it blows up in my face, I look up to heaven like, God, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on here? I think I'm right. All my friends think I'm right. Everybody I called asked for advice. They think I'm right. God, are you the only one who doesn't get it? When in reality, He's the only one who does see how it all fits together. In fact, God is so patient with us. I mean, look at how Jesus responded. I mean, they said to him, verse 18: You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things that have happened here in the last few things, last few days. What things Jesus said? Tell me about it. Now, I, I first looked at that and thought, well, the Lord is being humorous here because that is sort of humorous. I mean, Jesus is the one down on the cross. They're all upset about it, and, and they said all these things have happened. Jesus said, well, what things? But well, Please listen to me for a moment. I don't think he was just jerking their chain. I think it was like that moment when Jesus cried at Lazarus' tomb. In John 11:35, 35, the shortest verse of the Bible just says Jesus wept. I used to love that verse because I grew up in traditional church where you needed to memorize verses. John 11.35, is a very special verse to me. Because <laughs> if I went to Sunday school and they said, do you have a verse? Yes, I have a verse. John 11.35. Jesus wept. <laughs> Used to bother me, though, because I'm thinking, you know, I mean, this a seven-year-old kid memorizing his verse. I'm thinking, why is Jesus crying? He's going to stand there at Lazarus' tomb, call him out. Why is Jesus crying if he knows he's going to raise him back to life? simply because the Lord was in that moment with his followers. He felt Mary's pain. He felt Martha's pain. He felt the pain that all of us feel from death, and he broke into tears at the grave of a friend. And I think it's the same thing with these disciples. He understood that he had a bigger plan. I mean, these disciples thought the game is over. What they didn't realize, they were at ground zero in the biggest story in history. 2,000 years later, on an April morning in 2012, we were telling about these guys. They didn't realize they were right smack dab in the middle of God's story. And Jesus knew that. And instead of blowing them up, he just called them into the discussion. He said, well, well tell me what you're feeling. You know, you and I could be, out of, we could be out of place today in our thinking. We could be unhappy. We could be angry at God. We could be agitated at him. In our frail, feeble, human, short-sighted way of thinking, we could be way out of place today. And isn't it amazing how God patiently says, tell tell me what's on your mind? We're going to do a series in June called Push, Pray Until Something Happens. And we're going to discuss in that series how important it is to God that you bring your problems to him. So I don't think Jesus is laughing at these guys. I don't think he's making fun of them. I think he understands the pain that they're feeling. And for that moment, he syncs up with what they're feeling. And he says, tell me your story. What are you upset about? Well, here's their story. They said, "Well, it was the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. They said he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be crucified to death, and they cruci- uh, condemned to death. They crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel." Now think for a moment what their impression of Jesus was. They said he was a man, he was a prophet, he was a teacher. We had hoped he was the Messiah. In effect, they were saying, we hitched our wagon to the wrong star. We thought Jesus was somebody that he wasn't. We thought he was bigger than he was. But as it turned out, as we're telling you our story, sir, he was a man, he was a prophet, he was a teacher, but that was it. And that was when Jesus grabbed them by the shoulders, emotionally speaking. And he showed them what you and I need to learn, that God has a bigger story than we have. I don't know if you're into taking notes, because I I don't like to take notes. But if you ever are into taking notes, there are five problems when you and I develop our own story that are so clearly spelled out for us here. And I hate to give you a list of five things, but they're just right here in the text. If you were to tell me your story as you see it, or I told you my story as I see it, we have five problems with our story. And if we can't get past these problems, we're going to be like these disciples on the road to Emmaus. Here's my first problem my story is shaped by my expectations. Did you hear the words of these two men? We had hoped, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. Do you know that Americans are unha- the unhappiest people in the world? And yet, you and I have brothers and sisters in certain parts of the world today who don't know how they're going to have enough food to eat or how they're going to feed their children. And yet, sociologists tell us they're happier than we are. Why are we so unhappy? Because their expectations are so high. We're so used to having everything we, we want in life. We're so used to being entertained. We're so used to being fed. We're so used to having our needs met that when things don't seem to go perfectly, it blows us up. Real simply, it's great to have goals, but goals can become gods in our life, and it's dangerous to let goals you can't control become God because all of a sudden your happiness will be at the risk of a goal that you can't do anything about. My story is shaped by my expectations. Number two, my story is interpreted by my self-interest. If you were to listen to me tell my story, my story would revolve around me. My story would be about my feelings. My story would be about how I came out of this. You know, that's what I hear about this in, the, in these two disciples' story here. There's nothing here about sympathy for Jesus. They didn't say anything about, you know, our Lord had to suffer. I mean, they, they, you know, we felt so bad for him. They nailed him to a cross. They beat thorns. N- nothing here about Jesus. Just our plans got blown up. You know, I, I don't want to get in our grill and we've already had such a tough weekend here in Wichita, but some of us need to be shaken by the shoulders by the Son of God to just remind us the world doesn't revolve around us. I mean, is it okay with us? I mean, I'm talking to Christ followers. You're not a Christ follower here? Check out on this. But if you're a Christ follower, is it okay if you have to go through a little difficulty for God to do something extraordinary in somebody else's life? Is it okay with you if you have to sacrifice a little bit for somebody else to come to faith? Is it okay if you have to go through a season of difficulty, if God can touch and bless somebody else? For many of us, it's no, 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 no. It's all about me. My story is interpreted by my self-interest. Then number three, my story tends to be measured by my emotions. Emotions are great, you know? The problem with my emotions, they're always real, but they're not always right. If my story seems to be going great, I feel good. If my story's not going well, I feel bad, and I tend to gauge how well my life is going by my emotions in the minute. And I know that this is a simplistic thought, but how many times did we think something was going badly when in reality it was going better than we thought? And how many times did we think something was going well only when we discovered it wasn't going as well as we thought? I'm not that crazy about poetry. My, my particular favorite poem is Rudyard Kipling's If, and I've loved it all my life. As a leader, I love two lines. I love a stanza out of Kipling's If more than any other line of poetry. He said, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. I mean, there are times in our life when we think we're winning, only to discover later, later that we're not, and there are times we think we're losing, only to discover that those things are key in our lives. My story is measured by my emotions, And, oh, guys, please get number four. My story prevails because of my experience. I want to talk to you who have followed Jesus for a little while. I never know quite how to say this. But if you're a Christ follower, you're going to have seasons of your life where things are going to seem like they're all falling apart. Some of you could be there today. I've been there several times. But it's gonna. You're, you're, if you're a Christ follower, there's going to be a season in your life where everything is going to seem to run counter to what you would expect in the life of a Christ follower. Because you would expect that if Jesus is in control of our life, that everything is well-ordered. And yet there will be a time when your well-ordered world will come apart. And you'll be inclined to do what I've done through the years and think, wow, it's all going down the tubes. And especially, here's the difficult thing. It's when you're trying so hard to do the right thing. I mean, you're just sure you're in God's will. And you know you're doing the right thing. Maybe you're even sacrificing. Maybe you're even giving up something that's precious to you so that you can do the right thing for God or for somebody else. And then it just seems like it all goes wrong. And you're asking yourself, where is God? And you're going through a really difficult season. Let me tell you what my experience has been. My experience is that during the worst part of those times, that God will leave little telltale signs in your life that he's there. Maybe going through the, just a just the blow up of your life and then you'll get an email from somebody. Or there'll just be a song on the radio or there just be something that's kind of signature. It's sort of like God just like trying to reach through the darkness and touch you on the shoulder. I had a pastor friend who called me going through a very difficult time. He talked to me for an hour this week and told me about all the difficult things that were happening. And at the end of our conversation, I told him, I said, hey, you know what, friend. And in fact, I even just added this to the conversation at the end. I, I said, you know watch for this, you're going through a really difficult time. But I said, God's going to just bring along little reminders that he's at work in your life. And he stopped for a moment as he cried and he said, it just happened today. But here's the problem. Let me just tell you what Mark's problem with that is. Is that when my life seems to be going down the tubes and God is dropping along little tidbits to say, Mark, I'm still here. My problem is my story tends to prevail over what God is trying to say to me because my experience tells me things are going down the tubes. Jesus had been trying all morning to get through to his followers that he was there. I mean, look at it again, Luke 24, 22. Some of the women from our group, his followers, were at the tomb earlier this morning. They came back with an amazing report, drove us out of our heads. They said his body was missing. They'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of, his, some of our men ran out to see. Sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. But if you go back to verse 11, you see how they reacted to it. The story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. See, if you're going through a difficult time, God may be trying to get your attention. He may be trying to show you that he's there, but our story tends to prevail over God's story. In this case, dead people just don't come out of graves. And they said, you know what? We heard the women, Jesus appeared, the disciples went, the grave's empty, but we don't believe it because our experience tells us that dead people don't come back to life. Which leads me to number five. My story is limited by my my story is ended by my limitations. The disciples couldn't do anything more about Jesus, and so they were quitting. They were going home. And that's when Jesus opened the Bible. Now there could have been scores of scriptures that Jesus could have used. I don't know what he did, but he went back to Moses and all the way through the prophets. He shared with them about how that the Messiah was supposed to suffer. In Isaiah 53, 5, 700 years before Jesus' birth, Jesus said he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. Or maybe he quoted Daniel when Daniel wrote 600 years before Jesus was born. The anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Or maybe he, he quoted what David wrote 1,000 years before. An evil gang closes in on me. They pierced my hands and feet. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. A thousand years before Jesus was born. Or maybe it was Isaiah again, 700 years before Jesus' birth. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. I mean, Jesus could have cherry-picked 100 verses. But basically what he did is he went back to all these verses in the Bible that talked about the first time that the Messiah would come, that he would be the suffering Savior. And here's what he said. He said, don't you see these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and then enter into his glory? I close with this. So many times when our story doesn't work out, we say what the disciples said. This wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, the disciples were saying that, weren't they? We followed this man, he was a prophet, he was a teacher, he did miracles. We thought he was the Messiah, but then our leaders crucified him. This wasn't supposed to happen. And then Jesus said, guys, it had to happen. I'm old enough now to have stories in my life when I thought my world was falling apart. I look back on them now and I smile because I say those things had to happen. I had a story, but God had a bigger story. Those things had to happen. Some of you know already, there was somebody you thought your world fell apart when that relationship broke up, but now it had to happen or you wouldn't have found the awesome person that you found. Or it could have been you thought you wanted to do a particular job, but you didn't get that job and it fell apart, but it had to happen or you wouldn't be where you are today. I mean, that's, this is just the way God's plan works. Oftentimes, he closed doors that we feel like are important, but it had to happen. You know, about five or six weeks ago, I don't remember exactly, but I know it was the last weekend, of the, I think it was the last weekend of the last series. As soon as the service was over, I drove to my hometown of Fort Worth. And uh, we were hungry because, we'd been, you know, we'd just left church and drove straight to Fort Worth. And, and so I'm a Texan, so I said, well, let's get some barbecue. And so we were on the north side of Fort Worth and we were looking for barbecue. And we were in One of the fastest growing parts of Fort Worth. In fact, that whole north corridor there from Fort Worth to north of Dallas has just exploded. And I happened to drive by a church building I haven't seen in years. And an old story came back to me from my life when I saw this building. When I was 24 and on staff of a church in Fort Worth, this church had a tragic thing happen situated and located in the fastest part of Fort Worth, but their pastor became very ill. And tragically, it was terminal and he passed. During the time he was ill, many other ministers from the community came in and spoke for this church. I was the one who went in for a couple of times at their invitation and spoke to this church. Months, of course, passed and we lost this pastor friend and, and I knew that they were seeking resumes and seeking a new pastor. In fact, because of its location, strategic location and fast-growing area, there were many well-experienced credentialed ministers who wanted to be considered for this church's senior pastor. And, in fact, I think there were somewhere between 50 and 60 resumes of experienced pastors who wanted to be considered I had no idea that they would have ever considered me. I did speak for them a few times during this difficult season, but I never thought I was being considered. You can imagine my shock one night when I got a phone call from the chairman of the board. His name was Pearson. That's all I remember. I got a call from the chairman of the board, chairman of the search committee. He called and he said, you know what? We've gone through our entire search and we've narrowed this down to two guys and you are one of them. And I was blown away by that. He told me the other guy's name He was about 50 years old. He was a friend of my father's. I'd known him all my life. He was a very experienced, very capable minister. I was 24. He was 50. I thought he was elderly at the time. (laughs) So I thought, you know, I don't have a snowball's chance. I'm 24. I've never been pastor of a church before. I thought, how nice it is to be considered. I mean, surely just the honor of the thing. So thank him for his phone call. Three weeks later, he called me back and said, it's the most extraordinary thing. He said, "I can't, can't believe this. The whole church is in unity. Everybody in the church, all the board, all the search committee, they all want you to be the pastor. We're in a 100 percent agreement. We want you to come be our leader." And then I remember these words. "Now you are 32. He said, no, I'm 24. I'm you could hear the gasp on the other end. We sort of ended the conversation, and that was the end of it. And I didn't know. I mean, it took me, you know how it is. Sometimes something like that plays out months, years later. You learn things from other people. And I found out they contacted all kinds of leaders. They talked to the president of my college. My president of my college begged them. He said, he said, I know, Mark, he's 24 years of age, but mentally and emotionally and mature. He's like 40, and he's your guy. Trust me on this one. He's your guy. But they couldn't get over the fact that I was 24 years old. And looking back now, I get that. I was 24. I thought I was old enough to be president. But I look back now, and I think, yeah, that was 24. as was crazy. But I thought my world had come to an end. I don't know why. I mean, I I didn't expect it, but it's like, and here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had your whole world fall apart and you feel like it happens for such arbitrary reasons? I mean, I I couldn't control being 24. I couldn't suddenly make myself 32. Anyway, I was just, it took me a long time to get over that. Years. And all of a sudden, this church in Kansas started contacting me. About three years later, this one leave me alone. I didn't want to go to Kansas. <laughs> it was a Texan. And it was so interesting because, see, I hadn't seen this church in years, and I happened to be driving by it. And you guys know the story. I mean, the Lord allowed me to come to Kansas. He's just grown the church up extraordinarily. Thousands and thousands of people have come. And God has written such a wonderful story with New Spring. It, and it's been the love of my life for 27 years, first week of June but I passed by that church. You know what? It's the same size it was. They don't even have a website. Then we were starting our fifth service. You know what God was saying to me when my world fell apart, Mark? It had to happen. It had to happen. If it hadn't happened, I couldn't have opened the door I wanted to open in your life. I close by saying three things to you. Number one, Whatever your story is, God has a bigger story, and you may feel like it's over, but you're really right in the middle of God's story. And number two, the important thing is not to get God in your story. It's to get you in God's story. In fact, we actually have something. If you have a talk to us card, you have something called uh, a talk to us card, and it's got a place that says starting point. Starting point is just a real informal time, kind of like a living room experience happens during all five of our services. It's going on right now. It's an opportunity for you to find out how to, like, open the Bible and find out how you fit into God's story. Thousands of people have gone through starting point. If you're interested, you can just check it and let us know. God has a bigger story. You can find your place in God's story. And I know that for a lot of you, this will not be relevant because you know this already. But for some of you here today, I want you to know your story is not finished. Your story is not over. These guys thought they were at the end of the road, and yet they're in the middle of the biggest story in history. And if you will take your life and put it in the hands of God, you will discover that his story is so much better and so much bigger and so much more wonderful than your story It's not the end of the road. It is just really the beginning of the greatest journey of your life when you put yourself in his hands.